If you have a Bible, let's turn to the book of James in chapter 5. Um, we are nearing the end. In fact, this is the penultimate week of our series called Steadfast. Looking at the book of James. The book of James is a fascinating book written uh, by a guy called James um, to a group of churches. And they were really on mission. They weren't cozy huddles. They were really endeavoring to live a life through their lips and their lives that would communicate about Jesus. But he's been saying like a heartbeat, this theme that if you just, if you as a Christian just hope that everything will happen quickly and easily, you will be terribly disappointed. And that this, this phrase here, a call to being steadfast, endurance, patience, keeping on going. It ain't cool. It ain't funky. But my goodness, is it vital in the Christian life, individually and corporately. And he's been giving us a vision for it. He's been linking it again and again with different things and like a heartbeat saying, be steadfast, keep going. When you're in pain, when you're tempted to, to be distracted by others around you and compare yourself, be steadfast. When you're tempted to inactivity and just giving lip service to helping the poor, don't do that. Be steadfast. When you're tempted to be arrogant, don't let that derail you. Be steadfast in humility. And today, he saves, I would say, one of the absolute Everests of things that can derail a Christian until almost the very end of the book. All those things are important that we are steadfast through. But today we look at what I think is potentially one of the absolute, just the huge things that we can see in our own lives <clears throat> that can derail us from seeing the purposes of God in our life. And it's the issue of hurt. Of hurt. <laughs> when you look around this world, you really don't have to be, uh, you know, a genius to see that this world is filled with hurt. Pain in marriages, pain in communities, pain children, pain in parents, obvious pain, dramatic pain, <clears throat> and subtle pain. The loss of children who grow up and don't need you anymore. The loss of your youth. The loss of dreams that you had. Life is genuinely filled with pain generally, but what James today is wanting us to really look at is not just pain generally. In fact, he's used right at the beginning of chapter one. Do you remember that, that call? He said, be steadfast in all circumstances. That's one Greek word. Steadfast, patient, when circumstances cause you pain. Today, look with me in verse seven at the beginning. He says, be patient or steadfast. But underlying it is a different Greek word. It's not just keep going, be steadfast when stuff happens, when circumcision, circum, not circumcision, that is a key thing, when circumstances are hard. Definitely be steadfast in those situations. But he also says, he also says <clears throat> today here, be steadfast when people hurt you. Not just when life is difficult, but when people hurt you. Don't miss this, guys. People are wonderful. You are surrounded by hundreds of them. But people, people hurt each other. And he wants to help us. He wants to help us. He wants us to understand that 
You know, you can, if you don't allow yourself to know and acknowledge that you've been hurt, if you just allow that to be unchecked, people do crazy things because of, ch- because of hurt that has not been processed. They leave churches. They withdraw. They, they are kind of here and they're kind of not here. Terrible things happen when we get hurt and we don't process in a biblical way. And that's what he's wanting to help us here with. Charles Spurgeon said, normally a single bee sting will not kill a man. But if you are profusely stung many, many times, you can very easily die. Some of you have been stung in little ways. And today God's going to be revealing to you, man, I've really, really been hurt in little ways. But when you add them all up, It's massive. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's absolutely massive that we understand that God wants to help us in a broken world to deal with being hurt by people. Lance Armstrong, one of the most manly of men, cyclist dude, he said, I'm only too scared of two things in life. Number one is losing and number two is being hurt. So what we're going to deal with here as we read this passage are two groups of people. Verses one to six. James addresses rich people who are ripping off a second group that he then comes to address. So it's like he's almost got them in front of him. The first group who think they're Christians, they kind of maybe, but listen to the words, okay? Verses 1 to 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. And their corrosion will be like evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in your last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and you've murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Classic James. There it is. All guns blazing. But then what he does, he now talks about this righteous person who doesn't resist these people. He now addresses them. Look, be patient. Remember that word? Be patient when hurt by people. Be patient when hurt by those people, those rich people who have been ripping you off. Be patient, therefore, brothers and sisters. Until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Being patient about it. Until it receives the early and the late rains. You also, listen, be patient. Be steadfast. And this is our key phrase. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example... Of suffering and patience, brothers and sisters, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. You have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or earth, or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no, so you may not fall under condemnation. Father, please help me. Help us. Lord, to process today by your spirit things that maybe have happened to us or maybe even things we've occurred to others and help us to 
Let your word do its work in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope the picture is clear. Two groups of people. And and I don't want to get hung up on the fact that the first group seemed to be wealthy. And the way that they hurt the poorer people was through the wealth thing. That's not really the issue. Most of you here wouldn't go, oh, I'm really struggling right now because I've been ripped off by wealthy people. Although some of you might. Some of you may go, no, do you know what? In my work environment, this is very similar. I resonate with that second group, Tom. But I, I want us to slightly broaden the point here, which is a group of people or an individual hurting another human. At its absolute heart, that is what James, a wonderful pastor, is wanting to do. And there's two steps. The first of them, he gives us here what I've called the tough commandments. You know the Ten Commandments? Here are the tough commandments. There's three of them. But I want us just to be honest. Sometimes as Christians, we read the Bible and it doesn't, we don't really allow our, our true emotions to express themselves. I think he gives three commandments to potentially hurting people that are really tough. First one here, he says, verse 7, be patient. What's he saying there? He seems to be saying, in this situation where you're being hurt by these wealthy people, or change the situation, whatever situation you're in, if you're feeling hurt from others right now, his first thing he says is, keep going. Be steadfast. You see, my advice, my theology of pain is this. If there is pain in my life, there must be something wrong. Generally, it is. I think we're like that, aren't we? If... If my, uh, I don't know, my neighbor or uh, my workmate or my family friend, if they're causing me pain, if at all possible, I need to remove myself. If you're in a situation, maybe in a job or, so, or some other situation where, where there is pain being caused, my theology, which is pain equals bad, therefore would tends to say I need to do everything I can to alleviate this. Sometimes that is right. But James here, do you see what he's actually saying? He's saying stay in the situation where there's people around you who are causing you the pain. That's really hard, isn't it? Is it just me? 1 Corinthians 6. It's amazing. There's a situation where in the Corinthian church, they're suing each other. And and do you know what? It's amazing. Do you know what um, Paul says to them? He says this. He doesn't say, you know, he just says this, verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Can I honestly say that is my response? Let them take your money. Let them, let them hurt you. It's massive. It's countercultural. 1 Peter 2 about Jesus. He says, when reviled, he did not revile. Wow. He didn't defend himself. No, no. When he suffered, he did not threaten. So he starts with what I personally, maybe you're more godly than me, but I look at that. that first, I'm like already, I'm already, I'm already struggling, James. I'm already struggling, mate. Two words. Be patient. Just you should get out, he should say. Get out if they're ripping. No, no. Number two, the obvious then question is, well, how long, James? 
for a season. And then he says these words with no apparent sense of irony. Brothers and sisters, be patient, therefore, until the coming of the Lord. <laughs> Sorry, James, to me, I think I misheard you. I thought that, that that sounds like to the end of time. That's right, Tom. In the painful situation you're in, sometimes it's right to keep in that place until the very end of time. And then what he does is, and I don't want to be disrespectful, he gives gives us a very helpful picture of a farmer. And if I'm honest with you, I don't find it very helpful. Because the two elements he's given that are challenging, which is number one, stay put around people who are causing you pain forever. That's the second element. He then says, it's a bit like a farmer who waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient. Well, number one, farmers often are kind of fairly solitary, aren't they? I think of a farmer kind of like, here he is. He's kind of in this beautiful, lush environment. I can't see a lot of people causing him pain. Generally, he's standing there sort of on the edge of his style or whatever, <laughs> watching his land. The picture doesn't help me, James. Oh, oh, and then until he's patient. Oh, right, till the end of time. No, no, until he receives the early and the late rains. The early rains came in October. The late rains came in March. James, that's six months. That's not to the end of time. Now, I'm not trying to be disrespectful because there is real help in this picture. But at the moment, I'm thinking, this is really hard. Because, guys, I'll be honest with you. When, when you feel hurt by people, man, being patient, being steadfast, staying put in that situation until the end of time is really not what my instincts say to me. And then he says, it's, he then just adds this, doesn't he? Just James. Verse 7, oh, 09 rather. On third, third commandment, do not grumble. Right. <laughs> so I can't even have a bit of a moan, is what you're saying, James. No. <coughs> so let me just summarize, James, this pastoral wisdom here. When you're in the pain of being hurt by people around you, number one, stay put forever, keeping your mouth shut. That is the Tommy Shaw transliteration paraphrase of what James is saying here and I'm being slightly you know I'm trying to help us to understand the power of what he's saying we, we can just go oh, be patient and then and not be patient do you see what I'm saying we can be patient and then go right now jobsearch.com boop he's saying no 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 pain is not always a sign that something's wrong so welcome to superherochristianity.com anyone here go look at the that's really not helpful James I don't resonate with you at all alright when I'm hurting I want to punch him in the face and I want to get out of the situation I'm just being honest with you I do and um, so do you and this is the reality he says be patient steadfast stay there and don't grumble now this is this is weird this is you see this is that you've got to read the Bible properly yeah You've got to really meditate, give it time. Because as you meditate, you go, these little words, these unchristian buzzwords, this is massively countercultural. Your thinking will not be like this by nature. Our thinking by nature is not like James. And there is one word, when I finish looking at those three tough commandments, there's one word that I feel, pressure. I feel pressure, James. I feel that I, I just need you to say, man, that's hard when you're hurt by people. 
Get it out of your system. Talk about it. If you're all possible, take away. And he says almost in every situation the opposite. Now, if I finish my talk there, we'd all be a bit depressed. But praise God for context, amen? Hey, praise God that that's not actually the end of what he says. He actually says an amazing verse that the more you dig and meditate on. Oh, it's exquisite. Are you ready? Here, verse 8. Oh, he says it again. Look at it. Also, be patient. Yeah, we got that, James. We got that bit. Help me, James. How, how, how? And he says this. Establish. Say establish. establish. Say it in which the ball. Beautiful. <laughs> establish your hearts. This is the key. This, this, this is the key. Establish your hearts. Why? For the, the coming of the Lord is at hand. It's near. It's close. It's kind of happening already is what he's saying. Why is the big deal? I'll tell you what's the big deal. When he says your hearts, he's not talking about your physical heart. He's talking about your inner man, your inner woman, the whole of your inner being, your, your soul, your emotions, your mind, your will. And he's saying this, these outer commands of patience and lacking in grumblingness, they only will occur when your inner soul, when your inner soul is established. Do you taste that word? I love it. It's established. It's like a building term. It must be established. If your inner heart is established, his promises, that extraordinary, apparently supernatural ability to walk through hurt is possible. It is possible. In fact, I think you could push this as far to say, in the Bible, the purposes of God prevail not because of IQ, not because of intelligence, not because of strategy, not because of oratory, but because of hearts that are established. Because of obedience, because of hearts that are soft. Moses, Abraham, Joshua, Jesus. Their hearts were the center of them and their hearts ultimately were the very epicenter of who they were and they were established. They were established. It says in Proverbs, it says, He who has a tranquil heart has life. Life flows into their, into their flesh, into their being. But envy in the heart, it, it just rots the bones. Now, this is amazing. And I want to say this. Christianity is actually very simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. And I really want you to hear this. You have no idea, really, what even tomorrow holds, let alone the next 10, 20 years. But your focus of your life, if it is on establishing your hearts, the promise of Scripture is, even when you walk through hurt, the provision of God will be there for you. Establish your hearts. The problem is, though, this. Our hearts are not necessarily automatically established. To establish a heart, it really means that it's, it's been built. The idea of establishing something is not just pioneering. It implies a life of dedicated work. When a business is established, it's like it's had its early days, it's pioneering, fragile days, and then boom, established over the door, 1987. This law firm was established. He's saying your hearts need to be established. Establishing your hearts is the very key element of your life. 
If your hearts are established, then everything else is a detail. But the Bible tells us there are many other states our heart can be in. Which means when things come into our life that could cause us hurt, like these guys we've encountered here who, who could experience hurt from the rich people, what can happen is we process badly. And we do other things other than continuing humbly in the way of God. What other examples are there when we see in Scripture? Well, there's lots. Our hearts, rather than being established, they can be fattened. He's just said that, hasn't he? Did you read that? The rich people, their hearts were fattened on the indulgence of life. We also hear in James 3, it says, your hearts can become impure. If selfish ambition and bitter jealousy are the, the fuel, they can become impure. Proverbs tells us our hearts can become sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Here's a big one. Our hearts can become hard. As Mike Betts says, our hearts becoming hard is not an event. It's a process. It's a very subtle process over time. You see, the idea of establishing something, if you're establishing a business, that's your big focus. The idea of this word he's saying establish, it implies priority. And if you see your life's priority is not actually establishing your inner soul, but it's your work, or your family, or your body, or your intellect, your reputation, your status, your ministry position, even something good like that, if that is actually your focus, your heart very quickly can become subtly hard. And I, I love you, but some of you here, your heart has become hard. Very subtly, over time. Because actually, when you think about what you've been establishing in your life, you can't honestly say, above all else, it's been my heart. And the Bible's sort of scary because it, it seems to imply that a hard heart kind of, God can do lots of things, but it seems that if someone's got a hard heart, it's like, well, why Israel? Their hearts became hard and he had to wait for the whole generation before he could come to a new, a new one. That's why he said, if, he said at Meribah, if you, if, if, if you hear the, the voice of the Lord, don't harden your hearts. Why would he say that? If hard hearts weren't a problem to God, if he could say, you know, hard heart, soft heart, doesn't matter, I'm coming through. But he doesn't say that. He, he needs soft hearts. <sighs> hard hearts. Deceived hearts. Divided hearts. We can have congested hearts. Parable of the sower. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us we can... Lose our hearts. Just don't, don't lose heart. We can have weary hearts. We can have hearts that become weighed down by life. And here's, here's a big one when we're dealing about hurt. We can have bruised hearts. That's why Jesus said, I've come and a bruised wick. He's saying, I, oh, if you're bruised... <sighs> If you've just been really bruised by life, and I'll be honest with you guys, I've, I've, I've 
I've tasted more of what he's getting at here in the last six months than I have. Some of you have had far more intense times than me. When you're in that place, he's saying, if you neglect your heart, things can go really wrong. You must establish your heart. You must make it the priority. And and I think there's just three very simple steps. We'll just spend a couple of moments. How do we actually do that? I think when you look at Scripture, and it's really fascinating that he mentions here, it's like, how do we do this? How do we do this, James? How do I make sure my heart is established? It's strong. How do I make that my priority? He says, look at the prophets. He's He's saying there's nothing new, actually. The prophets is kind of code word, really, for much of the Old Testament. And one of the guys who stands out is David. He was a king. He was also a prophet, it says. And there were three things that he gives us. If you want your heart to be established so that particularly when you experience hurt, you actually walk through it well, there's three things a heart needs to be if it's to be established. Number one, it needs to be a heart that's searched. We'll look for a moment at that. A searched heart. Secondly, it needs to be an encouraged heart. And thirdly, a guarded heart. You see, for example, here in uh, Psalm 139, David says, search me, O Lord, search me. And if you know anything about David's life, David, he was an amazing guy. He had a very tender heart, it seems. He was like a poet. He was a creative type. He wasn't a kind of macho dude by nature, but God's calling caused him to have to do some scary, courageous alpha male type woo stuff. Um, but I resonate a bit with him because I'm by nature not really like that. And I think his heart was his greatest asset, but it meant he had to be very attentive to his heart. Very attentive. He said, search me. I love it. He doesn't say, go and look at yourself. He says, you do the searching, Lord. Search me, O Lord. And see if there's any offensive way. Now, guys, in this context, let's see how James does this. Look, he doesn't just say establish your hearts, search your hearts, let God search your hearts. Look at the, He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, that means that one day, soon, God will return. It also means at one level, Christ is already very present in this room. And, and we can't see each other's hearts awesome to think that God, he sees your heart as clearly as the color of your jumper. That scares me. But I have to live in that truth. He says, establish your hearts, have your hearts searched because he's at hand, he's close. I love Acts 9.31. You know, this is one of my favorites. I'm saying it all the time. How did the church grow? It says, In the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. Oh, I love that. I love that pairing. Because the evangelical church, church which loves the Bible in this country, tends to only emphasize the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough, to be honest with you, just to be having him as our comforter. That's amazing. But in the fear of the Lord, and this is the feel of it, a heart that is walks carefully before God. Can I please, I really, and I was praying about this, I am nervous about some of you. You're so busy and hectic, you don't really know what I'm talking about. You don't actually, if I was to say to you, in the last 
week, have you consciously said, Lord, what's going on in here? When I, when I try and develop that sense of not an introspection, but a searching heart, it still scares me how my thought life is sinful. And I'm not talking necessarily about, you know, massive lust obsessions or something really obvious. I'm talking about judging others. I'm talking about celebration of other people's downfalls. I'm talking about envy. I'm talking about my stinking pride still being there. And I hate it. And I want to free you to be honest about that. Because we're not a church which is perfect at all. We're so miles away from it. But we have to have the courage and actually the discipline to say, Lord, I, just try it this week for one hour. Say, Lord, just in this next hour, let me just be aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Listening to what on earth is going on in here. Why am I so worried about that email that's come in? Why is my thought life consumed with that meeting? Why am I overwhelmed with, with fear about this thing or anger about this thing or self-obsession, self whatever it might be? Allow God to search my heart. And particularly if you're bruised, if you've been hurt, this is so key. Lord, help me to make sure that I'm walking in a place where you're really, really king. A.W. Pink, who's a great name, Uh, a guy who's dead, but an amazing guy, who, a real godly guy. He just said nothing, let me get this right, he said, he said, nothing will keep your heart so tender as cultivating a spirit of filial awe. Strange word. Filial, father, son, father, daughter, father, filial awe. Walking, Lord, search me. I think that's what he's getting at. He's saying the Lord has hand. Because you see, he's dealing with these guys tenderly, the second group. He's tender. But you notice how he's also very real. Don't slip into gossip. Don't get suddenly he's, he's talking about the Lord is at hand, but he says, Yeah, he's also at hand, which means the judge is at the door. It's kind of both. He's amazing, but he's God. One guy I love and respect is a guy called Mike Pilavacci. And I've only seen him preach twice recently. Um, and both times, this is a guy who leads something called Soul Survivor, very mighty man of God. Both times, um, one time before he preached, he was being interviewed, and he just kind of got into slightly unhelpful, jokey stuff, and everyone laughed. And then halfway through his sermon, he just stopped and just said, I just, I'm sorry, I just need to apologize and repent, because what I said earlier was not right, and I'm really sorry. And it was like, wow, we were just, <laughs> you know, group of big leaders. And then I saw him at another event, and it happened again. And I don't think he was trying to just be godly or something. He heartfelt, knew that he just, his, it was difficult to pinpoint, just his flavor of the way he'd expressed about other people wasn't honoring. And I know that when I'm bruised, oh, I have to be so careful. I have to say, Lord, help me. <laughs> help me, God, so that I know you are at hand. Let my primary righteous obsession be with establishing my heart please God because when he comes can I say this 
When he genuinely, either when we die and we meet him, or if he was to return today, I don't think his primary concern is going to be anything less than your heart. I think that really is what he's going to say. So you said, I was centre of your life. Let's review the last seven days. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's a bit worrying. You didn't really... You didn't really focus on your, your heart after, at all, did you? I love you. I'm still your father, but that really, gut, you know, I'm gutted about that. See, I know I say this, but one of my roles as a pastor is to prepare you to meet your maker. As best I can, as well as preparing myself. But that is, for me, a helpful, that is, above everything, I'm here because we, we, that's where we're going. Do you know what I'm saying? And, 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 and he's saying your heart's of, you know, I love, uh, there's a great Puritan called John Flavel. And he said, our hearts like instruments. When they're tuned, they're beautiful. But if you leave an instrument for a while, or it gets knocked, it's quickly out of tune. We can't do that with our hearts. We can't do that with our hearts. Secondly, though, hearts that are established are also encouraged. If you understand that the nature of what we call spiritual warfare, which is right now in this time age before Christ makes all things new, we do have an enemy and he is called the father of lies. Now what that means is discouragement should be resisted as much as sin is to be resisted. Again, to quote my bets, who was quoting someone else. I love that. He's so discouragement... Because God is a God of encouragement. He brings courage. So this is a second huge element. How do we see our hearts established? When you're bruised, when you're hurt, it is the discipline of saying, Lord, you need to help me to encourage myself. says in 1 Samuel 30, David encouraged himself in the Lord. But also, Lord, it must be that you primarily help me to be encouraged and comforted, Lord God, so that my heart is continually established. Two Thessalonians, so help here. It talks about this. It says, comfort your hearts. Let God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let God comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. A few months ago, I just felt so hurt I'd never, I'd never experienced it. It was extraordinary. And I, didn't know, I, I was saying to God, should I be that honest with the church? I thought, oh yeah, why not? Honesty is always the best policy. I just thought, blimey, I, this is, <sighs> I feel bruised. Man, I'm tender. You know when you're bruised, if anyone touches it, it's even touch, just a tiny touch. You're like, ah! And I was just like, oh. So I went for a walk in the countryside and I just felt God say, write a list of all the triumphs that I've given you over the last 18 months. So I started thing came to mind. Oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, yeah, and there's that, and there's that, yeah, and that, yeah, and that, and that. And I tell you what, it was like over those five or ten minutes, I just flooded with the encouragement of God. And I think there's something of this here in this 2 Thessalonians passage which says, encourage yourself in every good work. And what we're understanding, if we are those who feel condemned or we feel like a failure and we feel bruised and we feel hurt by others, there is something of a, it's like, it's like Ephesians 6, yeah? 
put on the whole armor of God. I love what Terry says, Terry Virgo, who leads the family of church. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Don't let yourself get out of that place. Keep yourself in that river. Keep yourself in a place where you're reminding yourself very diligently, God, particularly if I'm bruised and hurt, that's real, but you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this. And listen, one of the most powerful things you can do when you feel hurt by other people, if you're anything like me, one of the things that can lead me to not be patient, honestly, is thinking that the thing they've done against me, no one's seen. And there's no sense of justice. They've done this thing and, and nothing's happening. They're just getting away with it. And if I feel like God isn't attentive to that pain that person's caused me and he's not active in just in bringing justice, that, that, that mindset can lead me into trying to take things into my own hands. I will blimmin' do something. I'll write an email. I'll go around. I'll sort this out then. And what, what we learn here is when we're in that place of feeling great pain and we're feeling like that second group, listen, allow the flavor of God's righteous anger in verses 1 to 6 to wash over you. Look at the words he says. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. This is weird, right? What I'm saying is that should encourage you. Is God inactive and passive and inattentive to the pain that these rich people have caused to the poorer people? Is that the God of the Bible? No way. He is a God who feels their pain even more than they do. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't just look at sin that occurs where someone hurts someone else and goes, oh, well, there's a lot going on in the universe. I can't really be that bothered about it. He is profoundly active and he wants these brothers in verses 7 to 12 who have been hurt. He's like he wants them to overhear his righteous fatherly anger towards those who have hurt them. Now listen, this is dynamite when you get a hold of this. When you understand, when you've been hurt in your life, that actually that God is anything but unattentive. And he will one day... It says, sooner than we imagine, he will bring justice for every sin, every pain, every hurt that you felt. He will, just as he's doing here already with these rich people in the hearing of the poor people. He's deliberately doing that so that we, when we feel like those people who've been hurt, can go, wait a minute. Praise God. My God is a God, a God of justice. He's a God who is not inattentive. I don't need to try and punish them because the God of the heavens is already utterly on the case hallelujah and suddenly it, you, you don't have to quite fight your corner quite so much and you sit there and think this is amazing and then you have that thought where you think wait a minute that's amazing but that kind of God versus one to six God is kind of scary and you know what I realized that not only at times have I been hurt but I've hurt other people Wait a minute, Tom. Does that mean that that does that mean that I could therefore face this scary God one to six? And this is where the gospel, in two-sided brilliance, brings stunning, glorious truth into this situation. Because this is the deal, guys. What is the gospel? The gospel is this: there's not a single human 
ever has to experience the kind of judgment you see spoken about in 1 to 6. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, he took the punishment for every single sin of hurt that you have caused to someone else or even will cause. Jesus Christ took it. He took it so that the Father could be satisfied when he looks at you, a hurt bringer, and say, my beloved darling daughter or son, as if you never did it. And the two-sided brilliance is that means that you can therefore know when I've caused hurt to others, by the grace of God, it's already been dealt with at Calvary. That one to six flavor of a God of, of, of anger is not inappropriate. It's right because my sin on that person, that hurt was real. But Christ has taken the, the place for me. But the other side of the coin is this, is that when you yourself have been hurt and you want justice, for you, justice means that person saying sorry. Or everyone knowing what that person did. And God says, that ain't, that's nothing. That person, when they sinned against you, they sinned against God. That won't do it. The only thing that could ever satisfy the wrath of God for that sin against you, it's my wrath being poured out on my perfect son. So you see, whichever camp you fall into, whether you feel, I'm someone and I know I feel hurt, and I want justice to be done. Amen. But don't the justice that we want, an email back or a I'll tell them a piece of my mind, that is not what God ultimately says to us is the place where justice is dealt. When you look at the agony of the cross, it screams out, your pain is real. But it also floods us with hope because we are not just those who have been hurt. We're also those who hurt others. And the cross says there is hope. It's amazing. It is the only place where no matter which camp you feel like you're in in a given week, the gospel gives you grace and hope. And finally, we've got to be those, if our hearts are going to be established, that guard our hearts. Some of you have been waiting for that one the whole time. Guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Proverbs 4. Above all else, guard your hearts. I love it. In the Hebrew it says, guard your hearts above all other guardings. So you might guard your bike. Yeah? Or guard your health. Or guard your family. Those are good guardings. But above everything, guard your heart. When your heart has been searched and then your heart is encouraged through the gospel, then thirdly, you must guard it. Don't allow anything in that shouldn't come in. Don't allow anything out that shouldn't come out. Yeah? It's both ways. That's what a guard does. Hey, you, what are you doing coming in here? Yeah? Got anything? No, you can't come in. Is your heart guarded? Is your heart guarded? Above all else. I mean, that's a profound command. I mean, literally, you may have to practically, for a season, put less energy into guarding other stuff. Your job. Your health. Even your family. Can I be as bold as to say that for some of you? He says, above all else, guard your heart. God screams it to us. No one else can do that. Only you. And when you're bruised, when you're hurt, above all else, above all else, above all else, guard your heart. What comes in? I love John chapter 2. Jesus says he did not entrust himself to those around him, knowing the hearts of men. What's your company like? I don't just mean physical, I mean TV, internet, books. Jesus was very careful about what he let in. Very careful. And then what comes out. 
do not grumble. It's right here. I had one brother, leader in this church, recently, and he gave me permission to say this. He said, Tom, I have got into a very careless tongue. When I'm with certain people in this church, we find ourselves, we wouldn't call it grumbling, but what we end up doing is basically criticizing the way things are done. We don't ever feed it back, of course. <laughs> we just put the world to rights and then off we go. And he said, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. What comes out is as much of our guarding as what goes in. I was amazed. One friend of mine who has just been through so much pain, job loss, miscarriage, so many difficult things, and yet I've never heard him ever grumble once. The pain that he's walked through, him and his wife, is massive. That's a rare and beautiful thing, and I want to become more like that. I can be rubbish on this. I'll be, I'm not trying to say I've got this sorted at all. The Lord is at hand. Establish your hearts. And so as we land now, we're not having breaking of bread. We've got a good few minutes deliberately because I want us to respond. I think for many of us here today, honestly, our hearts, they're not actually quite as established and soft as we'd want them to be. And when I listed the other kind of places your heart can be in, impure, maybe a bit sick, a bit hard, a bit divided, a little bit, you know, weary, bit bruised. Just in a moment, we're going to stand and I'm going to say, if you think, yeah, I know my heart is, is actually more in that place, Tom, one of those things, rather than established. And I just haven't been giving that attention. I want to encourage you quickly as we stand just to come forward. It's just a sign of, I, I, I want it. If the Bible says it's that important, I can walk forward. <laughs> I can push, I don't just want to make this an inward thing between me and God. You're in a context. We're together. We're a family. And I think there's going to be a lot of us if that encourages you. Because as I've meditated on this this week, God has been all over it for me, convicting me, helping me, heart surgery. So, should we stand?